Welcome to Strengthen the Numbers. My name is Mitan Patel, analyst, accountant, and aspiring finance leader. And it is my ambition to bring the leaders in business and finance to the table, stilling their careers, experiences, and insights into actions that you can take to your clients, customers, and communities to become their value creator and ultimate trusted advisor. And with that, let's move on to the show. Welcome everyone. On this very special 100th episode of the Strength in Numbers show, we have Anders Lewin Lindbergh, who is the head of finance transformation at Maersk. And interestingly, Anders was our very first guest on the Strength in Numbers show. Anders has developed an incredible and formidable reputation um, for his knowledge and expertise on business partnering and finance transformation. And in this podcast, we explore a lot of different things um, not just on business partnering, but also a little bit on budgets, digitization, automation, and interestingly, where um, listeners at my level, the finance analyst level, how they um, try and get to that business partnering uh, position and how they navigate some of the challenges that automation brings. Reflecting on this podcast, I'm incredibly conscious that Anders and I touched on a broad range of topics um, and some of them you may feel don't apply to you at your particular level but Anders gives incredible answers to each and every one of the questions that I asked and I think for example if you're a senior leader at your organisation it's worth thinking about some of Anders' answers to how a finance analyst progress in their career to become a business partner um, because getting the next generation of um, finance professionals in your organisation to give you that competitive edge is incredibly important. So I think there's something for everyone and I think everything is relevant to everyone in, um, in in its own particular way. So look, I think this is an incredible podcast. I'm really privileged to have done um, the 100th episode of the SITN show and I think you'll really enjoy it. So without further ado, let's move on to the show. Anders, welcome to the 100th edition of the SINTN show. Yeah, I, first of all, I mean, it's an absolute pleasure to to be back and, and how exciting it is that, you know, I was part of the first one and now we are, we are approaching 100. Um, so it, it's a fantastic journey on, on, on your end as well. So congratulations with that first and foremost. I mean, it's really, it's really great what you're doing for the, for the finance profession as well. I mean, I think with speaking to and working with people that are driven by the same person purpose, as, as myself, is an absolute pleasure. So really well done on the, on that part. Yeah, I, in fact, I think all the uh, credit certainly goes to um goes to Andrew on this one. I've just been very fortunate to tag along. But look, yeah, they're really excited uh, to have you on. And you know, on that note, um, what have you been up to this this past year or so? I think uh, one thing that I continue to work on is is building building my brand as someone that can help finance professionals grow in their career and someone that can help finance functions around the world uh, get their strategy in order for what they want to achieve. And I think most importantly, how they can succeed with, with business partnering, which is really what is close to, close to my heart. And on, on the note of business partnering, I mean, I think the most exciting thing that has happened since, uh, since we spoke last time is the fact that we have launched the, 
Business Partnering Institute, which aims to crack the code on successful business partnering and engage with companies that are doing well in this area and figure out what is it that they're doing that is helping them be successful and how can we transfer that to help other companies be successful. Because we truly believe that if the finance function can be successful with business partnering, there's an immense value potential just lying around that companies can pick up and it will be a significant boost for the finance function to be a part of this instead of just uh, being huddled up in the corner and sending out things on email, right? So there's a massive potential here and it's so uh, so exciting to be uh, to be a part of this. Yeah, no, very, very um, interesting. And, you know, on that, um, you know, what was your journey to this very interesting part of finance? So I spent the first uh, five years of my career in various controller roles, financial controlling, business controlling. And, you know, when you get into a business controlling role, that is typically the point where, you know, some go in a, you know, still a more technical direction and some go in the business partner direction. And for me, it was clear that, hey, you know, I do this management reporting. Uh, what does it mean? How does it help my stakeholders make better decisions that are bring this information to them? And, and so it was clear to me that the business partner route was something I definitely had to, uh, definitely had to explore. Um, so I didn't get my first, you can say, dedicated business partner role until uh, some three, four years later. But from there on, it was always part of what I did. So I went on from being a business controller to being a finance manager, where I had a lot to do with accounting and systems and processes, but I still applied my business partner mindset to all the information that we produced and helped my stakeholders make better decisions. Right? So, so that was sort of where I decided after having you know, spent some years doing the more classical finance roles to say, I want to do business partnering. Ah, very interesting. Okay. So um, for our listeners who are in analyst or control roles, um, what skills and experiences did you gain from, from your earlier accounting experiences that help you with the more exciting side of business partnering? I think it's important to understand that one is the foundation of the other. If you think business partnering, you cannot be a business partner without data reports and analysis, right? If, if there's no analysis to feed you insights, then you have nothing to present to your stakeholders. So, so the two things go, go hand in hand. And typically, as a finance professional, you start out in an analyst type of role where you really learn the pieces of data reports and analysis within the company and how that all fits together. And then from there, of course, your career can develop in different paths, but the a typical route could, of course, become to, be, to be become a business partner. And those that can do that are the ones that can actually translate the results of data reports and analysis into insights that they can go and share with, the, with their stakeholders. And I've done some bit of refinement of, okay, so what does insight actually mean? And at the base of it, it is something that you've derived from your analysis that your stakeholders do not know, but will help them make better decisions. Right? So that is what insights is. And of course, insights in that, in that frame can be many different things. But that is at the core of, you know, what do I need to really do to progress in my career to become a business partner? And that is to take the result of all the great analysis that you've done, turn that into insights, that help your stakeholders make better decisions. Um, and so from a career perspective, 
that is what you need to be thinking about. But if you don't understand the basics, if you don't understand the groundwork, you'll never be able to turn out these insights. Uh, so, so I think that's a critical piece to understand. So we don't just send you know, newly graduates out in the world to say, now I want to be a business partner. Yes, probably want to, because that's what a lot of people, especially in the UK, are talking about. But you need to go through these steps first. Probably you shouldn't uh, do accounting first, but you definitely do some sort of analysis first so you understand where do all these things come from. And then you can go and be a business partner if you have the interpersonal skills that are needed to, uh, to go on that route. So I think that's the, that's the important thing to have in mind if you're just a new graduate starting, uh, starting out. Okay, so you think that um, graduates should, even today's age, do the traditional route of becoming an analyst and then a controller before going on to being a, being a business partner? Absolutely. I, you know, having worked quite a bit with this and also at a large scale here at, at Maersk, I've at least come to the realization that you cannot become a finance business partner straight out of school. Then you're fooling yourself. Then the tasks you'll be doing are still analyst, analysis tasks, right? To think that a new graduate can come out and support a, let's say, a, a VP of marketing or VP of operations to help them run their business with strategic insights and, 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 and knowledge about how they should run their business, I mean, that is not... That is just not possible. So you need to have uh, a certain amount of experience before you can insert yourself in, 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 in those kind of roles. I mean, that's, that's the clear learning for me. If you are one, two, three years out of school and you come into a business partner role, I mean, you will end up as a secretary of your business stakeholder rather than someone that can challenge and bring insight. I mean, unless you are the superstar of the uh, of finance, then maybe you can do it. But for the general population, we need more experienced people in these roles to really succeed with it. Okay, no, that's that's very interesting. The thought that pops right into my head at this moment is the digital revolution and the advent of automation RPA. And arguably, it's happening sooner than we we think. Um, with that in mind, how do those at the junior end, the new graduates, the the future leaders, how do they get that finance experience that is so crucial to them if robots are um, going to take over? Yeah, so I think we're still, we're still some years away from the typical financial analyst uh, job completely going away. And even if we end up in a situation where, you know, let's say the forecasts are produced uh, entirely by predictive analytics, which some companies are already doing. I mean, I've been talking to a uh, big Danish pharma company called Novo Nordisk. Uh, I've also talked to Microsoft, and they're already doing this. So they already use predictive analytics to turn out their forecast. But still, you know, business leaders as well as finance need to understand the numbers. They need to understand the mechanics of how it's derived. So it might be an algorithm doing it, but what's the input factors into this algorithm, and what does this number it spits out actually mean? Right? So there's still some sort of a, a deep dive analysis that is, that is needed to say, you know, where are everything, where's everything going? Ten years from now, that might change. But, but today, I mean, that deep dive is still needed. And there are still plenty of companies, uh, including Maersk, where, you know, none of this is, is automated really yet. And there's still a lot of, you know, more manual deep dive that is, uh, that is needed. So there's still a role for the analysts to play in the years to come. 
you know, yeah, 10, 15 years out in the future, who knows what's going to happen. You can definitely see the drawings in the making of such a role not being there anymore. But today, that is how you would still position yourself to say, okay, I'm going to go into be an analyst to learn the data structures, to learn the reporting side, to learn how to do analysis that helps derive insights. Because you could do a lot of analysis. I mean, you can analyze everything to death and not turn out any insights, and then you're not any further. So there's still a lot of things to learn to uh, position yourself to become a business partner. Um, that's, that's how I see it today. Uh, it's also how I see it for the next five years. So that's not going to change tomorrow. Oh, okay. Oh, fascinating. Um, so I suppose whether it comes now or in the, or in the distant future, what would you be your advice to fires professionals at any level to navigate the disruption that this will inevitably uh, bring? Well, I think it's, it's really about getting involved, understanding what it is, and then using that to help your function do the transformation. Right? So digital will transform the finance function. You can decide to not be a part of it, which means your job is most likely going to go away, or you can decide to be a part of it embrace it and use it to work in the new, you can say digitized finance function, because there's definitely a need for people that understand how can this help make things better. Uh, so my general encouragement would be to everyone who's facing the threat of automation is to say, get involved, be a part of it. And then you can say, be the change rather than just standing there waiting for someone else uh, to come and take away their job. Okay. Fascinating stuff. Um, yeah, with that then, let's broaden this conversation up to business partnering more broadly. What, what do you see, Anders, as the three roadblocks or challenges to effective business partnering? So, I mean, if, if we look at why business partnering fail on a more, more grand scale, I mean, we in, in the Business Partner Institute, we've identified sort of five typical roadblocks. Um, so I know I'm saying five and not three, but I hope you can bear with me. So... <laughs> so the first, the first one is, is lack of time, right? When we've documented within MERSC between juniors and seniors that they spend two-thirds of their time on data reports and analysis, it's no wonder they don't have time to do business partnering. So we need to find ways to free up time to focus on business partnering. That's one. The second one is that we focus on the cost of finance and not the value of finance. So if we keep focusing on how can we reduce the cost of finance because you know it's the support function and uh, the business stakeholders, they don't feel it's adding a value, then it's all about reducing cost, take cost out, reduce more and more, and just deliver the absolute minimum. If that's the focus, of course, business partner will not be in focus because that's about the value agenda. So we have to put the value agenda on the map. That's two. Three is what about the people, right? Transformations are all about new systems and processes and organizational structures and so forth. But what about the people that need development to step into these new roles? And I think, you know, we spoke probably about this on the, on, on the, on the, the first podcast to say, you cannot just, you know, take a controller analyst today and give them a new business card and say, you are business partner. No, we have to focus on how do we develop them, the specific skills that they need to take on this business partner role. I mean, yes, there are superstars that can probably do it intuitively, but the general population, absolutely not. So we have to focus on developing the people. That's three. Four is lack of focus. 
there's a, uh, a Danish consultant firm that did a survey among senior finance leaders and said, okay, you know, uh, what are your main, uh, main uh, you know, things that you focus on uh, or priorities uh, for, 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 for improving in finance? And 60%, 60% said, uh, said that business pattern was one of them. But when they were then asked to say, what are your top three core focus areas for the coming year? Only 3% of them had business partner up there. So only 3%, right? Zero, zero, three, right? So if, if we all say it's important, but we don't want to put it as one of our top priorities, of course, we will not get any further on this agenda. So that's, that's four. And then five, we fail to make it concrete. We just say, you know, you are a business partner, go out, create some value, you know, you figure it out. We don't make it concrete. How can people be successful? If I don't make it concrete to the individual, this is what I want you to do different tomorrow. These are the tasks. These are the meetings you need to be in. These are the stakeholders that you have. This is how you need to develop the relationship with them. If I don't make it concrete, of course, people fail. And we don't move people from average to good and good to great, which is our most important responsibility as leaders. So those are the five things for why business partnering fail. And those are the five things that I would urge senior listeners of this podcast to do something about immediately. Excellent um, point, Anders. Yeah. And like many of these things that, you know, are going to be very elementary, very obvious, but we don't think about them in this way. And I think that gives a really good um, starting point. What, what I'd say is that they, these five points diagnose the issue um, one thing that really sticks out to me is time. So your point about spending two thirds on data analysis, um, reporting, but not enough on the business partnering side. How do we make that time, particularly when, you know, not just for finance professionals, but for all professionals, uh, we spend a lot of time doing that and, and firefighting and, um, you know, not enough on the, on the truly, um, value add side. So how would you, how would you approach that? Well, I think the, the first realization we all have to make is that the work we do as individual is just not that important, right? It might be an important part of the whole, but if, if, uh, if, if, if you left tomorrow, what would happen? In most cases, not much. If you stopped sending the 10 reports that you send on a weekly basis tomorrow, what would happen? Not that much, right? So I think that's the first realization to say, yes, I'm doing a lot of stuff today and I feel that it's important, but on the grand scale of things, it's probably not that important. Because once you have that realization, you can say, okay, what am I doing today versus what should I be doing basis the making it concrete what business partnering is. And then you end up a list with the 25 things that you're doing today and 25 things you should be doing tomorrow to be a successful business partner. And then I would say, make the concrete plan to say, how do I stop doing this report? Can I automate it or do my stakeholders even need it? Or you know, is there other ways of doing it? How do I spend more time with my stakeholders? Oh, can I be part of these meetings? Uh, what should I do? So you make concrete, tangible action plans for each thing that you should really stop doing. Then there'll be things you need to continue to do and you can, you can of course optimize those, but those I wouldn't focus on uh, to begin with. And then there's the things that you need to be starting to do. So first, stop things and then start things. If you start things without having to stop things, you'll make things even worse. So stop, 
doing what you shouldn't be doing, start then doing what you should be doing, right? So this concrete, tangible action plan, I feel many people are missing. And I've been trying to push this also in, uh, in Merck as an example to say, okay, then let's map out your activities as is, and let's map out what is actually in your job description you're supposed to do, and then let's create this plan. I mean, I, uh, I make the analogy of uh, this, uh, um, this, this story from, uh, from Plato, where he's, uh, I think, uh, writing about you know, the blind man in the cave that needs help to really find his way out into the light, and there's all these steps that you need to take to get to the light. So in this case, you know, the light is when we are successful business partners and the blind is when you're sitting uh, in the cave and sending out reports on email that don't make a difference at all. How do you make that bridge? That is what the leaders need to help the individuals to do. But it should be a concrete, tangible action plan. Otherwise, it's just fluffy words on a slide that no one buys into. So with that, Anders, um how do you apply that in a large organization? Indeed, actually, how have you done it at Maersk yourself? Yeah, so it, it's true that in any large organization, it probably requires uh, three or five stakeholders to nod when you want to change the, the, the color of a report. Right? So that definitely adds, uh, adds complexity to it. But at the end of the day, it's all about leadership. Right? So we, from the top, made business partnering a priority. We redesigned roles and responsibilities. We called it Finance Business Partnering 2.0. We created a business partner framework, second to none. We created a training program, and I truly believe that as well, second to none, trained almost 500 people. So from a structural point of view, we've done everything we can. But even if we do all that, it still comes down to the individual leader and his or her team around how do they translate all those learnings on the ground into, uh, into reality. Because if they continue to go back after the training and say, okay, I'm gonna spend two thirds of my time doing data reports and analysis, we are not progressing the transformation. If the leader does not go back and say, how do I create the plan to say, two thirds of my time should be spent on sharing insights, making recommendations, and actually creating an impact on the business. If they don't go back and make this plan, it doesn't matter whatever we have done from a structural perspective. So the key point here is for, and that's for all leaders out there, is for you to own the transformation. There might be a transformation office, PMO, CFO, whoever, but it's a leader-led transformation. The leaders don't get this, the transformation will not be successful. So if there's one thing that you need to do different tomorrow, and I'm mainly speaking to leaders here, it is to take ownership of the transformation. Don't wait for someone to come and tell you how to do it. If you don't take ownership, someone else will, but this is your foremost role as a leader. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And leadership, I suppose, is the basis of all um, change initiatives or programs. Um, appreciating that, what if you don't have that leadership support? How do those that aren't in an executive or senior position, you know, is it possible for them still to affect change? Yeah, I mean, the change can, of course, come from, from anywhere. It helps that senior management 
makes a strategy where business partnering is part of the top three priorities, right? So if senior management don't think it's important, it's difficult to make a change at a large scale. If, if, if that is not happening, still as a middle manager, you can say, well, I think it's important that we get closer to our stakeholders and have what we call customer focus to say, how can we help them make better decisions? And, and you can make some, some changes within the team. But even if no one else in the organization but you, the June analysts, think that this is important, you can still make a tangible action plan for yourself to say, okay, who are my main stakeholders today? How can I make them into you know, what we say, key accounts? How can I become their key account manager so that I understand their need and can help them progress and make better decisions uh, through improving my relationship with them? So we really see it as a, uh, a mindset of having the customer in focus. Uh, then you need to understand the business and then you need to create this partnership. Um, so that is to us what business partners we all about. And they can come from every, but it definitely helps that senior management put it as one of the main priorities. Yeah, no, a fascinating um, insight. I think everyone, yeah, can have that uh, potential for change, but it does help to have ultimately leadership um, driving it and setting that tone right from the the top you know it, it's interesting actually because this we're going to shift track a little bit admittedly <laughs> uh, but i think there's very strong that relates to some of the bits you talked about time uh, business partners look i think there's one thing which is on the mind of every finance professional um and that is budgets and there's been lots said about how effective a traditional budget is how much time it takes and there's been a couple of suggestions to reform budgets one of the big ones has been um, the model of your budgeting i wondered um, given that you've talked a little bit about it in your uh, linkedin posts and um, some of your resources that you provide what your thoughts are and whether Maersk has um, implemented it and if so how much they've they've implemented it I think in theoretical terms in Maersk, I mean, we've, we've gone beyond budgeting since uh, yeah, before 2010. Um, but what I find is that the framework for beyond budgeting is, is too complex for organizations, especially as, as big as they are, to, to effectively make the shift. I mean, if you listen to... Uh, to, uh, to, to one of the thought leaders within uh, budgeting, Dr. Bockness, who's written all these uh, books and comes from that all, and, and, and looking at his, uh, his framework in action, it, it also looks very, very complex. Um, so it's very difficult for leaders on the ground to translate this into what does this actually mean. And I think the key learning for me on Beyond Budgeting is that you know, it's, it's a culture change. It's not just a process change where you spit out these processes and then you do things in a bit different way. It's a culture change to say, we want to manage our company different. And very, very few companies have managed to make this, uh, this transition. So I'm, I'm, I'm a theoretical believer in beyond budgeting, but how it actually translates on the ground is still, is still left to be seen on a large scale. But I'm also a believer in the fact that the budget itself as a, traditional process takes up way, way, way too much time for most organizations in terms of what you actually get out of it. Yes, there are good things in the budget process, which is you come together as a management team or as a department to discuss what are the critical activities we should be doing next year, how does that turn it into a budget, uh, so you have some good discussions around what is the business activity that you need to, to do, but I mean, the budget process I've been involved in and it's still you know, some years back now, right? but we started in May, and we finished in November with the board sign off 
And then in January, you know, things have changed and it was all out of date anyway. So what was it all good for? Yes, good discussions taking place, but it's not good as a forecast because everything had changed. It's not good as a target setting because you'll reward, be rewarding people on a completely different, uh, different baseline. And it's not good as a resource allocation because it might be you have to shift all the resources to different projects because the economics of your business change. Um, so what is it all good for? That's, that's what I ask. And still, I haven't seen any good compelling answers. Brilliant. Brilliant, Anders. And like all your answers, incredibly fascinating, incredibly um, insightful. Look, I know that we're um, beginning to run out of time a little bit. Is there anything that you would like to um, to mention before um, we wrap up? I, th- I think we, I mean, we touched a bit upon the, 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 the digital and the automation part, but I think it's, it's also a critical topic for, for people to, to, to understand um, so, so a lot of people think that you know digital automation is going to come away and come and come and take my job. But what what most companies still haven't really done well is to figure out you know digital is not an end goal. Digital is an enabler of something you want to achieve. So digital can never be your strategy, right? It can be an element in your strategy. Uh, so 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 what is really the strategy for your finance function? What is it that you want to achieve? And then look at, can digital actually be an enabler of that? Because I believe digital is a huge enabler of something like business partnering to say, you know, if we have to get away from spending our time the way we do today, we need to uh, digitize a lot of things. We need to have the self-service capabilities um, and we need to have automation, predictive analytics and all the things that fit into this uh, this area here. So so I think one key thing to, to, to take away from here is also to say, what I want to achieve and how does digital fit into it? But not to say, yes, my strategy is to go digital, because that is not a strategy. That is an enabler of something else. I think that's the that's also a key topic to uh, to focus on. Brilliant. Um, look, have you got any resources that you'd recommend to people? So, I mean, it really depends on uh, on, on what your interests are, right? But we uh, we have written a book uh, called How to Create Value as a Finance Business Partner. And uh, we, we're still we're still debating when to, to launch the English version. It's out in Danish uh, for now, uh, but we're discussing with various parties about how to uh, to, to include them. Uh, Andrew Cot has been uh, been a major part of, uh, of of editing the book as well, the, the international version. So once that is out, I think for business partners in the making and business partners uh, already. That is a primary resource to uh, to tap into, and and of course I'm a bit biased saying that, but I really do encourage people to take a look at that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, do you have any uh, other resources um, that you that you'd recommend? Yeah, I think so. So so one thing that and that goes for everyone. It's not finance specific, but one thing that uh, concerns me is around how can we be our best, the best version of ourselves when we when we come to work especially for leaders, because if leaders are not the best version of themselves, i.e. They, 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 they have a drive and they're purpose-driven and they, they really come to work because they enjoy doing what they're doing, then uh, that, that sort of slows down everything if they're not in that, that, that mode. So uh, one of the concepts that I definitely buy into is, the, is the, the concept of full engagement. And there's a book called The Power of Full Engagement that I would definitely encourage people to, uh, to tap into. Um, so so that, that's one. And then another one going maybe a bit along the, the same lines. I mean, this, the, the, the most recent book that I finished is the, the book called Principles by Ray Dalio, uh, who's the most successful uh, investment manager of all time. 
probably more successful than than, uh, than Warren Buffett, but I don't know if they if they have thought uh, thought that one out. Anyway, he's uh, he's just published uh, this book called Principle. It's it's kind of a heavy one, but it also gives you a lot of great input into how can you improve uh, for yourself in your career and how can you improve the function, the department that uh, that you work in. Uh, so a lot of good insights into that book as well. So if you tap into those two books, I think you are you're pretty well set for the next couple of months in terms of your own uh, personal development. And how do people get in contact with you, Anders? Well, I am, would say almost always available on uh, on LinkedIn. So that's probably the the place uh, the place to start. Uh, connect with me, reach out, of course, uh, consume my content if you like. Um, but uh, but that's uh, that's that, that that's where I have my online space, and then I'm always Happy to meet in person if uh, if chances are available. So I'm going to speak in uh, at a conference in Chicago in November, uh, AFP 2018. So if you're in, a, in the US or you are thinking about what conferences should I participate in, then uh, check that one out. We are uh, presenting uh, the, the the session called How to Become a Great Finance Business Partner. So to write down uh, write down these topics as well. Um, that's also an opportunity. But otherwise, I try to. Uh, Try to give a shout out when I'm traveling to other countries, and then hopefully meet up in person with some of uh, with some of my followers. Well, look, Anders, that's that's fantastic. Thank you so much for being a guest again on this very very um, special episode, um, the hundredth episode of the Strength and Numbers Show. Um, it's been a real pleasure for myself to um, to have interviewed you. Lots of fascinating um, things and lots of great insights that our listeners can go after. Um, so. Thank you for um, thank you for being on the show. You are very much welcome, and uh, again, I really appreciate what uh, what you guys are doing as well. well so keep on uh, keep on it. going, and then maybe I, I can uh, come back for episode number two hundred. If you'd like to find out more about our guest, their bio, or any of the follow up resources they suggested, for links and much much more, go on the SITN Show's website, which is sitnshow.com, where you can only get access to these resources, but also access to previous shows, articles, and a whole host of other things. We also really appreciate your feedback. So whether there are things that you think could be improved, whether you think there's any opportunities, or indeed whether you have any suggestions for guest speakers, please get in contact with us either through the website or connect with us through LinkedIn. Drop us a message and we can take it from there. And look, Andrew has a philosophy that a rising tide lifts all boats. And that is something that I also subscribe to. And I believe that this show is a real demonstration of this. Let's keep engaging each other. Let's keep driving each other on. And together we can keep building our strength in numbers. So take care. Have a good rest of the week. And together let's keep building our strength in the numbers.